Okay. Um, we are going through the Basi Ligani Mimer, which, um, and this is a part two. This is a part two of the class, which we began last week. Um, as we discussed last week, the Mimer Basi Ligani um, is a very important and integral Mimer in this generation. Uh, the previous Rebbe passes away on the 10th of Shvat, which is tomorrow night, um, in 1950, 73 years ago. Um, and before the day of his passing, he prepares a mimer that he had said years earlier. Um, interesting note that I didn't say last year, the mimer was initially said exactly 100 years ago. 100 years ago this week on Parshas Boy. But it was 73 years ago for the day of the passing of the, the Friedrich Rebbe that he prepared this mimer and instructed his son-in-law, the Rebbe, to print the mimer and give it out for the day of his passing. The Rebbe took this mimer as a spiritual mission statement for our generation. And every year on Yud Shvat would say a mimer beginning with the words of the mimer Basi Lagani Achaisi Kala from Shirashirim. I've come to my garden, my sister, my bride, Hashem, referring to coming to this world, uh, revealing the Shekhinah, the divine presence in this world. Um, and as we pointed out last week, we went through the, the details that the initial mimer is 20 chapters long. And every year when the Rebbe said a mimer, he would devote the mimer to discuss one of the initial chapters. And therefore, um, from 1951, it was the first Basi Ligani that the Rebbe said, focused on the first chapter of the Friedrich Rebbe's Basi Ligani, and that went for 20 years through 1970, and then again 1971 to 1990. So we have the Rebbe going through the Basi Ligani for two complete cycles of 20 memorum, and then another 20 memorum. Um, and we've continued the custom since, always every year reviewing the Basi Ligani when it comes to the time of Yud and always with special focus on the chapter that's associated with this year. And therefore, this year we are, we are now in the middle of the fourth round of Basi Lagani, and we're the 13th year of the fourth round, right? Because if you count, 1951 through 1970 was the first round, 71 to 90 was the second round, 91 to 2010 was the third round of Basi Lagani, and then 2011 we started it for the fourth time. Now it's 2023, so we are on chapter 13, Perich Yud Gimel, of the initial Basilagani Mimer. So, so if we're doing chapter 13, what we're really going to be focusing on is the Rebbe's Mimer, or two Mimer, on this chapter 13. I know it's a little bit technical, but the Rebbe said a Mimer in Tavshin in 1963, on this chapter 13, and then again in 1983. And tonight, time allowing, we're going to focus on the Mimer from 1963. So all this was an introduction to what we're going to do tonight. Um, whereas last week we looked at the general picture of Basi Lagani. Tonight we're going to try to zoom in on a Zoom class to the Mimer of 1963, Tavshin Chav of Basi Lagani. And here goes. It's uh, in some places a little bit Kabbalistic, so mystical as a Mimer will be, but all in all a very beautiful and important Mimer. Um, I also forgot to mention something very important and unique to the Basi Lagani Mimerim, and that is whenever the Rebbe gave a Basi Lagani Mimer, he wove into it sayings of all of the previous Rebbeim, starting from the Baal Shem Tov. That's unique to the Basi Lagani. And every year on Yud Shvat, the Rebbe would say a Basi Lagani Mimer. And in the Mimer, you'd have something from the Baal Shem Tov and something from the Magid of Mezrich, the Alter Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe, Tzema Sedek, the Rebbe Maharash, the Rebbe Rashab. In other words, all of the Rebbe's predecessors. And of course, the entire Mimer was based on the previous Rebbe's Basi Lagani. 
Um, and that's unique. I don't know if the Rebbe ever explained it in clear words, but it, the implication was always pretty obvious. This is, if this is the mission statement of our generation, and this is the seventh generation, it's built on all the generations that led up to it, and that is the Rebbe's, starting from the Balshemtev until the Rebbe. And therefore, as we go through the Mimer tonight, and of course I'm not reading the Mimer inside, and there's no way we could do that in the time that we have, but I'm going to try to give a synopsis of the Mimer, but as we go through it, we're going to see how every one of the Rebbe's is represented, and their, their holy words are woven in to this very beautiful Mimer. Okay, so that's the introduction here. The, um, the general Basilagani is, as we've said last week and said, we always say, Basilagani is about bringing Hashem into this world. That's what it's all about. Basilagani, Hashem says, I've come to my garden, which means I've come to this world, and that was during the building of the Mishkan. Um, and the Avodah being, all of us are building Mishkans for Hashem. We're building uh, the Mishkan, which is our own homes, making our own homes a place for Hashem, our own parts in this world, our own selves, and ultimately together building the third base HaMikdash, with the coming of Mashiach, may it be very speedily. Um, and the Basilagani talks about all of those um, concepts and details. One of the important details that he starts talking about in chapter 10, 11 of the Basilagani is that we're soldiers, we're soldiers for Hashem in fulfilling Hashem's mission in this world. And because we're soldiers, we're privy to the greatest treasures of Hashem that Hashem gives us, each and every one of us, to overcome our battles in bringing Hashem into our life and into this world. And that's the idea, I think we mentioned it briefly last week, that he says the uh, metaphor of a king who has the treasures of the kingdom, and the treasures of the kingdom are typically kept under lock and key, and no one sees them and no one's able to use them, but it's given out for the army. The army, when they're threatened, and when they have to be victorious in battle, the king will uh, reveal and even splurge. The word in Hebrew is bizbuz. Levazves esa is to splurge the, the, the most sublime and the most secret and the most precious treasures of the king. And all that is a, met a metaphor, an analogy, for Hashem and us, that us in our situation with our battles, that we have to battle our, within ourselves, within our homes, within our areas in the world, to make it a godly world and a holy place and a holy self, Hashem gifts us the greatest treasures that He has. So what are those treasures of Hashem? The previous rabbi discusses in his Basilagani. And he brings a statement of the Zayar, where the Zayar says, Uyr ein Saif, the infinite light of Hashem, is lemaila maila ad ein ketz, ulemata mata ad ein tachlis. That the infinite light of Hashem is higher, higher without limit, and extends lower and lower, also without any limitation. This is a statement of the Zayar. So, the, the statement of the Zayar is that the infinite light of Hashem ascends higher and higher and higher, and descends lower and lower and lower, and all of that is infinite, without any limitation, just as Hashem, just as Hashem Himself, just as Hashem Himself is infinite. One moment. You here for the class? Oh, wow. Okay, it's a Zoom class. It's a Zoom class tonight, but sit down. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. It just became a class in person as well. We're not just Zoom tonight. That's fine. <laughs> just sit I could show up in person. That's wonderful. I, I have nothing against people. So, so the, um, ah, so, and, and that's where we're at in the Mimer, in the initial Mimer of the previous Rebbe. That's what he's discussing in chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He's going through this concept of understanding the infinite nature of the light of Hashem. As we said, 
Lamaila, Maila Adin. Cats higher, higher, and lower and lower. But he starts off, and in the order of the Mimer, first he spends a couple of chapters on how Hashem's light extends infinitely lower and lower and lower throughout all of creation. And that brings us to this, well, actually, it's last year's chapter. Last year was chapter 12. And last year, chapter 12, and we actually had this um, class last year on chapter 12, but I'm not going to ask any questions because I muted everyone. Um, so um, and last year in chapter 12, he discussed that where do we see Hashem's infinite light? We see it in creation. The fact that Hashem, that the, the, infi- the uh, infinite nature of creation, uh, we talked about marabu masecha Hashem, the infinite, the uh, tremendous amount of creations, spiritual and physical, magodlu masecha Hashem, the great creations, the more, uh, you know, the heavens, and they talk about the stars, and, the, and then we talk about malachim. So last year we talked about creation. This year, which is devoted to chapter 13, here he talks about that Hashem, his infinite nature is expressed in everything in creation. That in every step of creation, both spiritual creations and spiritual worlds and coming down into physical creation, in every area there is what he calls in the words in Hebrew are the hispashtus, which literally means the spread, and the gilui, which means the revelation of the oiren seif, of the infinite nature of Hashem. That's the general topic of this week's, of this year's Mimer. So in order to explain that, he starts with the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. And as I said, um, keep your eyes open and you'll see we're going to go through all of the Rabbeim in this Mimer. So he starts with the Baal Shem Tov. Teaching of the Baal Shem Tov on the Pasuk, Tsoihar Tasa Lateva. Right? Which is, of course, Pashas Noach. When Hashem tells Noach to build a Teva. And he says to make a window in the Teva, Tsohar. And then he says... Tachtim shnim ushlishim ta'aseha. That the Teva of Noach, the Ark of Noach, had three levels the lowest level, the middle level, and the highest level. Says the Baal Shem Tov. And of course, the Baal Shem Tov is going to give it mystical interpretation into this Pasuk. Again, a literal level, make an ark. The ark has three stories, three floors, and make a window. The Baal Shem Tov very famously said that the Teva represents words. Right? The word Teva, which is an ark, also means a Teva is a word. And he talks about the Teva being the words of Torah and Tefillah. And a person is supposed to go in, go into the ark, go into the words, get involved in the words of Torah and Tefillah. And the Teva says the Baal Shem Tov is made up of three floors. What are the three floors? And he says the three floors are the worlds, Olamos, Nishamos, and Elokus. Godliness, souls, and the world. So we are the souls, we're the middle level, and it's our job to connect the top floor with the bottom floor, right? If there's the world, and there's godliness, and there's the neshama in the middle, so there's Hashem, there's creation, and neshamas. Neshamas, which are all of us, we are given a mission, and that is to bring elokus, bring godliness into the world. How? Through the words of Torah and Tefillah, with a window, when they're illuminated, when they're warm, when we, when we bring in light and warmth, and, and, uh, and um, uh, passion into the Torah and Tefillah, we become the conduit to connect the top floor to the bottom floor. That is the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. Again, he takes a, a simple Pasuk. We have the Ark, three floors, a window. He says the Ark are the words of the Torah and the Tefillah. The three floors are Hashem, the Neshama, and the person. That's the Baal Shem Tov's teaching. Now, and here, a um, um, uh, little warning, we're going off for a little Kabbalistic trip, but don't worry, we're coming back. He says... Um, he says that these three levels of the Teva 
are really correspondent to three general levels in creation that the Zohar talks about. The Zohar talks about Tlas Almin that Hashem has three general levels of creation. And what are those three levels of creation? And in the Mimer, he goes off into a little bit of uh, dialogue and different opinions on it. But the opinion he settles on, which is one of, based on um, one of the commentators to the Zohar, named, called the Ramaz or Moshe Zakis. So the opinion is, he says there is what's called the Olamos Ein Sof, which means the infinite, the levels of infinite worlds of Hashem. Then there's the world of Atsilus, which we call the world of emanation. And then there's the world of Bria Yitzira Asiya, which is creation, formation, and action. And he divides that into three sections. Again, the Olamos Ein Sof, that's just godliness, unlimited revelation of Hashem. Ein Sof, infinite. The world of Atsilus, that's already a world, it's godly, but it's a world made up of ten spheros, of ten attributes. And then there's the worlds of creation and further down, which brings us to where we feel most at home. That's the lowest level. And he says, in the context of this mimer, talking about the fact that Hashem, uh, the Oren Sof, the infinite light of Hashem, extends lower and lower. And in every area, Hashem is, Hashem's infinite, can, infinite nature can be felt. He says the fact that Hashem can be felt in the worlds of the Ein Sof of infinite, that's no, that's no Chiddush, that's, that's the, no novelty. Obviously, those are places of holiness, places of divinity. The fact that Hashem, Hashem's presence in the infinite nature of Hashem, is felt in the world of Atzilus, the world of emanation, which is the highest world in the order of worlds we talk about Kabbalistically, he says that's also no big deal. Because the world of Atzilus, though it's made up of ten attributes, it's a divine world, it's a world of holiness, even the concept of wisdom, of, of, of Chachma, and Bina, and Das, and understanding, knowledge, Chesed, the way it is in Atzilus, everything is very, very unified with Hashem. It's called a world of Achdus, a world of oneness. And the various, it's called the vessels of that world, are called like Gufim, like bodies to a soul, that the soul becomes one with them, and the godliness becomes one with everything that goes on in the world of, them, of emanation. And therefore, the fact that godliness extends in there, and that Hashem could be felt in there, and that the Ein Sof is there, is also, he says, not a novelty. The novelty is when, we are, when we're able to bring, when we're able to see and sense the infinite nature of Hashem, even in the worlds as we know it, which is the world of creation, the world of formation, the world of action that we live in. These aren't divine worlds. These aren't worlds that are holy in a very revealed sense. And yet, about these worlds is what the Zohar is talking about when he says that that the um, Ein Sof, that the Oren Sof is lamata mata adin tachlis that it extends it extends further and further and in every place it's there with the full um, the full effect of the infinite that is even in these lowly worlds and he goes off to explain that um, and he goes on, and he talks about that he talks about the fact again that the, the that level of infinite comes lower and lower. He goes up and he says that where do, our, where do our neshamas come from? Most of us. The vast majority of people. Our neshamas are called, um, in Hasidic language, neshamas that come from the world of Bria. In other words, not, not from the world of Atsilos, that world of divinity, of holiness, but the neshamas that we have are neshamas that come from that level that's already some sense of creation. There's some sense of non-divinity there. Now, of course, the essence of our neshama is from Hashem Himself. We're talking about the neshama the way it comes into us. 
So the neshamas throughout the generation, we know there's a concept that there was higher neshamas and lower neshamas, and our generations as we're coming closer to Mashiach are regular neshamas. And most of our neshamas come from those worlds, what he called the world of Bria. They come from the levushin, the garments of the world of Bria. And that's because we're talking here about the whole mimer is about that to bring Hashem into the lowest world. So it starts with ourselves. We ourselves, to bring Hashem into every part of ourselves. When we talk about, you know, dira betachtonim and bringing Hashem into the world and every aspect of the world, first and foremost, that means us. It means ourselves, that we become permeated with godliness um, in the way we are, in the way of, in, in, the way of, in, our, own, in our own life, in our own um, activities. And therefore, he says, it's important to understand that our neshamas alone are from these levels that are not the highest levels in the world of Atsilos and so on. We, the vast majority of neshamas that we have are the neshamas of these lower worlds, lower realms. And to explain that, he goes off into a mimer of the Alter Rebbe in Lakut Torah. And the Alter Rebbe talks about different levels of neshamas. and talks about the highest form of neshamas is like the neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is called the ultimate neshama, neshama datsilus. Um, and that's why the Alter Rebbe says, Moshe Rabbeinu had a difficulty talking. Right? We have in the Chumash, Moshe Rabbeinu tells Hashem, I'm kvad peh, kvad lashen, that I, I can't talk well. Why couldn't Moshe talk? Because his neshama was from such a level of holiness that he couldn't really relate. He couldn't relate to regular people and, and fine people, but he was, he was just on a totally removed level. That's why Moshe's name is that he's drawn out of the water. The water represents those places that are concealed, that are hidden, right? The, the, water typically, Kabbalistically, is, is uh, representing what's called Amin Diskasya, the hidden levels of Hashem, the hidden worlds of Hashem. Moshe, every moment that he was in this world, had that feeling of not belonging, and he couldn't relate, and that's why he needed Aaron Akoin in order to be able to talk to others. So Moshe is that neshama of Atzilus, that tremendous level of neshama. And like Moshe, there's the great tzaddikim of the generations. Chad Bedara, one person in a generation. He quotes an interesting Gemara where two of the sages of the Gemara were talking, Rav Safra and Rava. And um, Rava turns, um, Rav Safra tells Rava, they were talking about a certain Torah concept, he says, Moshe, you said well. And the question is, his name wasn't Moshe, it was Rava. Why did you call him Moshe? And the answer it says is because he was that Nisham of Moshe Rabbeinu of his generation. In every generation, we have what the Zayar says, it's called Ispashtusa de Moshe Bechaldara. Those Moshe Rabbeinus of the generations, those are the neshamas of the very, very, the ultimate tzaddikim that are sent into the world to lead and to guide and to inspire and to teach and to connect us to Hashem. But that's the tzaddikim. The vast, vast majority of people are not that way. And they're nishamas, what are called neshamas of Bria. These are neshamas that are already part of the creation, part of um, that which is not clearly divine, and that becomes the job of the neshamas, to bring and draw down godliness into the world. However, he says, even though the neshamas, even though the neshamas of uh, people, am I being heard here? I can hear you. Yeah, you can hear me. Yeah. No, because I got a message that the internet connection is not stable. But okay, if you're hearing, it's good. So even though he says the neshamas of, of regular Yidin are what he called neshamas de Bria, lower level neshamas. But still the neshama, he calls it, is the primius, the most internal, most closely connected part to Hashem in this world. So yes, we are neshamas that are part of this world. We're not like the neshamas of Moshe Rabbeinu and the Sadiqim, but nevertheless we have the mission of bringing godliness to the rest of the world. 
And therefore he brings what is written, he says that the neshama is called the panemius of every world, the most internal. The malachim, the angels, are more external. And the rest of the world is totally external. And when we say internal and external, we're talking about as far as the relationship to Hashem. And he goes off to a Torah teaching of the Magid of Mezrich. If you're following the Rebbe, as we went to drop out of order, we did the Baal Shem Tov, Alter Rebbe, now we're going back to the Magid, the Alter Rebbe's teacher. But he brings the Torah of the Magid of Mezrich, talks about the fact that it says that the Malachim cannot sing Shira, so cannot sing their praises to Hashem every day until we do, until Klal Yisrael does, until Nishamas do. Because nish- Malachim are more external than Nishamas. Malachim need the neshamas. That's why in our davening, when we daven in the morning, shachris, we're talking a lot about the malachim. We're saying the malachim are singing shira because the malachim get their cue to sing shira from Hashem from us. And the reason for that, as he explains in the Maimon, is because neshamas come from Hashem's machshava. It says neshamas alu b'machshava. They come from Hashem's thought. Malachim come from Hashem's dibur, from words. And just like thinking and speaking, first we should think and then we should speak. That's the way it's supposed to be. And when it's not that way, when people speak before they think, then they speak, then the speech is not, is, you can't really understand it. So in the same way, being that malachim, they come from the dibur of Hashem, from the speech of Hashem, versus the neshamas that come from machshava, therefore, the mal, every day a yid does their avodah, and we daven, and we learn Torah, we do our mitzvahs, and that enables the malachim to do the avodah that they're supposed to do. And in fact, he says something very beautiful, that that's why it's called Shir Hashirim, the song of songs. The first song is the song of Neshamos, and that inspires or allows for the Malachim to sing their song as well. Shir Hashirim, the, it starts off with the song with Avoida of a Yid, Avoida of a Neshama, and that Avoida allows for the Malachim to do their Avoida as well and sing their Shira as well. So this is all, again, just to bring it back to, to see the general picture, it's all about the, our avoida of bringing Hashem into this world. But he's coming from the perspective of showing how that light of Hashem, the infinite light of Hashem, is coming lower and lower into this world. We talked about the Olamos of Ein Sof, we talked the world of Asilos, the world of Bria, Neshamas, Malachim. It's all about our avoida of bringing Hashem into this world, or going back to that Baal Shem Tov idea of the three stories, the the neshama that's connecting the elikus, the godliness with the elam, which is the world. But he takes it a step further. He says, if we're saying that the oyrin soif, the infinite light of Hashem, is lamata mata adin tachlis, extends lower and lower without any limitation. So we've, we, in this mimer, we've been traveling lower and lower from the highest levels of divinity to the world of Atzilus, the world of Bria, to the Neshamas, to the Malachim. But he says it gets lower. Because there is creation, and that's the world as we know it. But then there is, in the parts of creation, where Hashem is most concealed. Where is Hashem most concealed? That's what we call Klippa. We call the forces of unholiness. The forces of Klippa literally means the shell that covers over godliness. Where do we have that in the Torah portions that we're learning now? is the story of Pari. The story of Mitzrayim and the story of Pari. Pari represents the ultimate evil. And why is that? What did Pari do or say? And obviously Pari is a terrible king. But from a Kabbalistic uh, stance, what did he say? What did he represent? There's a Pasuk in Yecheskel where the Pasuk describes Pari as saying, Ye'oyr li v'ani asisani. Ye'oyr is the, Nil, the Nilus, the Nile. He says, the Nile is mine. I've made myself. 
We know that the Nile for the Egyptians was their idol. And Pari looked at himself as a deity. He said, the Nile is mine. And the Nile, the reason they, they uh, served the Nile is because the Nile was the, for, was the source of their sustenance. So Pari claims that who sustains me? Me. My powers, I'm able to sustain myself. The Nile is mine. I've made myself. That's what Pari says. Now, aside from the fact that this is a terrible... Um, uh, it's obviously it's heretical and it goes against Hashem. By Pari, it becomes all the worse. Because who gave the blessing to the Nile? We know that Pari would come out to the Nile and the waters would come up towards him. And that's why Pari uh, proclaimed himself a god. But who really gave him that blessing was Yaakov Avinu. Going back in the Parsha when Yaakov Avinu comes to Mitzrayim and his Parsha is Vayichi and it says, the Pasuk says, Paro, uh, Yaakov is brought before Paro. Vayivarech Yaakov is Paro. Yaakov blesses Paro. What does he bless him? So first of all, he finished the famine, right? Those seven years of famine. And Paro blesses, uh, I'm sorry, Yaakov Avinu blesses Paro. That when Paro comes to the Nilus, the Nile River, the water raises up towards him. So Paro knows good and well that his whole source of bracha is Yaakov Avinu. And Yaakov Avinu is, of course, representative of Hashem. He's a tzaddik. So instead of Yaakov Avinu recognizing that his sustenance comes from Hashem because he received that blessing from Hashem through Yaakov Avinu, Paro is, um, is what's called a kfui tova, is the, the ultimate ingrate. And instead of recognizing the blessing from where it comes, he says, I did it. It's all mine. So Paro represents the ultimate of, of klipa, the ultimate of, of uh, lack of holiness, the opposite, the antithesis to holiness, which is the opposite. Now, this real holiness is when we recognize how everything comes from Hashem. And the achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem. Pare, who sees how he's getting it from Hashem, turns his back and says, it's mine. And to understand this further, this idea of what Pare represents and what was given to Pare, he brings a teaching from the Mitla Rebbe. The, the Rebbe Ber, the son of the Alter Rebbe, the second Rebbe of Chabad. And the Mitla Rebbe, one of his svarim, Teiras Chaim, which is his explanations to Chumash, his Maimarim on Chumash. The Mitla Rebbe talks about where the Nile really comes from. So the word, the Nilus, way back in Chumash, right in the first parsha of Chumash, we have Hashem creates um, Gan Eden. Right? So it says there's Eden, there's Eden. V'nahar yoytseme Eden, a river comes forth from Eden. V'hishka is Hagan, the waters, the Gan Eden, where Adam and Chava initially lived. And then that, what, that um, stream splits up into four streams. And the Pasuk describes this right in the beginning of Pasha's Bereshus. The four streams that come out of Gan Eden. What's the first? And the, the Torah names each one of those streams. The first one is called Pishon. Pishon is the Nile River. Later, that, that Pishon, Nahar Pishon, became called um, Nahar, the Nilus, the Nile River. Says the Mithra Rebbe we're talking here about the first stream that comes out of Gan Eden. That means the greatest levels of spirituality, the greatest levels of bracha. And that's why Gan Eden was full even of beautiful fruits and beautiful trees, as the Pasuk says in Bereshis, because it was being watered by that Nahar Yitzimei Eden, the actual river that comes out of Eden. This Nilus, which is that very holy and powerful river, is what Yaakov brings to Paro and blesses him, that this should be your source of Parnassah. And your source that, that Mitzrayim is going to live off. And that's why Mitzrayim was fabulously wealthy, because it had the bracha of the Nilus. So Paro is given on a silver plate, so to speak, the greatest brachas, the brachas of receiving from this river, that's the initial river that comes from Eden. 
And instead of taking all of that and recognizing where it comes from and appreciating it and therefore coming to a greater level of serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Pari turns his back. And this is the hallmark of Klippa. The hallmark of Klippa is give, 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 and I don't recognize that I'm receiving anything. Just give, give me, right? Give me. Uh, entitlement. And Pari is the ultimate entitlement. I'm receiving everything from Kedusha, and it's all mine. I made it. I'm self-made. That's Pari. He goes further to our teaching of the Tzamech Tzedek. And again, we're, we're, we're going through the Rabbeim one by one. And he reads, and this is all just a station identification. I'm going through the Mimer that the Rebbe said, Yud Shvat, 1963. We're working our way through that Mimer, which is all based on chapter 13 of the Friedrich Rebbe's Basil Lagani. So now he brings in a teaching the Tzamech Tzedek. Tzamech Tzedek says, it says in Parshas Vayichi, all the Parshas that we learned in the last few weeks, in Parshat Vayichi, it says that when Yaakov Avinu passed away, they bring Yaakov Avinu's body up to the land of Israel because he's going to be buried in Maras HaMachpelah as he instructed before he passes away. And as they come closer to the Maras HaMachpelah, the Pasuk says, Vayavo ad goren ha'otod. They came to this, uh, this type of uh, place of thorn bushes and many different kingdoms came there and everyone said, Evel kaved limitzrayim. These are the words of the Pasuk that this is a tremendous evil, a tremendous mourning for Mitzrayim. So the Tzemach Tzedek, in a mimer says, brings, uh, brings a, a, a statement of the Zohar. The Zohar says, evil gadol, evil Mitzrayim, it's mourning for Egypt? It should have said, evil kavadli Yisrael. This is a terrible mourning for the Jewish people. They just lost their leader, Yaakov Avinu. Why did the nations of the world say that when Yaakov Avinu passes away, it's a tremendous mourning for Mitzrayim? When seemingly the Zohar is asking, it should say it's a morning, it's a ter- tremendous morning for the Jewish people. Says the Zohar. Says the Zohar, because really when Yaakov passed away, it was a tremendous morning for Mitzrayim. Because until then, they were living off the blessings of Yaakov Avinu. As we said earlier, Yaakov Avinu blesses Pare and says that the Nilus is going to rise for you and that you'll, the Mitzrayim will receive all the sustenance that they need. So when Yaakov passes away, it's Evil Gadol and Mitzrayim, not, not just Evil Gadol Yisrael. That's what the Zohar says, a short cryptic, uh, cryptic teaching of the Zohar. Says the Zamasadik. Zamasadik takes it further and he says, as long as Yaakov Avinu was alive, was alive the bondage did not begin for the people. Um, the Mitzrayim did not enslave the Jewish people. So being that they weren't enslaving the Jewish people, they were able to receive the bracha from the Jewish people. Yaakov Avinu and through Yaakov and his children um, were bringing tremendous bracha to Pari. So Pari and his people were not enslaving the Jewish people. I don't, I don't know their level of welcoming them, but they were, they were fine. So as long as they weren't hurting them, they were able to benefit from them tremendously. What happens after Yaakov passes away? Then the bondage starts and the slavery starts and the whole Golos, the whole exile starts. Once they start enslaving the Jewish people, the bracha that's coming from Yaakov through the Jewish people ceases, stops coming to Mitzrayim. And suddenly Mitzrayim is not receiving those brachas from the Nilos River. And suddenly Mitzrayim is hurting. And ultimately Mitzrayim is going to be decimated with Ten Makis and, 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 and Tlamakis Bechiris and Kriyas Yamsuf, all because they stopped receiving the bracha once they started enslaving the Jewish people. Says the Samachsedek, that's what the Zohar means. Evel Kavil Mitzrayim, the death of Yaakov was the beginning of the end for Mitzrayim. 
As long as Yaakov is there, their source of, of, of bracha is there, their connection to bracha is there, they're not enslaving the Jewish people. Once Yaakov passes away, Evel covered limits, right? So that Pari and Mitzrayim represent Klippa. And even in Klippa, there's also godliness. Orientsof, Lemata Mata Adin Tachlis. Hashem and Hashem's infinite light and Hashem's infinite energy extends even to those places of intense Klippa, even as intense as Paro. Let's remember the word Klippa means a shell. A shell means inside there's a fruit. It's just being blocked and is being covered. But wherever you see something, there is godliness in there. And that's the Orientsof, Lemata Mata Adin Tachlis. And the Mimer goes further, the Rebbe takes it further and says the same thing is within our own Avodah. Just like it is in the bigger picture, and really we've traveled through the entire, starting from the worlds of the Ein Sof, and we went to the world of Atzilus, the world of Bria, the Neshamas, the Malachim. Now we came down to Klippa and to Mitzrayim. He says the same is in our Avodah. We have in our Avodah also a microcosm of being of Mitzrayim, of Paro. Now, not, Baruch Hashem, none of us are Paro. But the concept, the concept of Paro was that he was, he's being a recipient of Hashem's bracha and yet he's denying it. And yet he's ingrateful. He says, it's all mine, it comes from me. Where do we have that in our own life, in our own avoda? Again, in a much more uh, refined and pristine way. And he gives two examples. Both of them powerful. One of them is, he says, from a Baal Asik, a business person. A person who's involved in making a living, which is most people. And we're talking now about a person who believes in Hashem. So we're not talking about an, an, an atheist or someone, a from person who believes in Hashem and he's doing his pranasa. But though their work is based on a moon on Hashem, many times we become, we forget where everything comes from. And sometimes we start, when we're successful, we congratulate ourselves on our success. After all, we did really well. He talks about the concept of kochi va'otsem yodi. When a person becomes proud, when a person becomes uh, self, uh, fill their own, oh, I, I did such a good deal, I'm so smart, I pulled off such a good thing, and we forget that where it's really all coming from. And that's why, in, and for those, of, for those of you who are on our weekly uh, Bitochen classes, it's, this, this is totally in sync exactly with that. The idea of recognizing and remembering at every moment that there's only one source for bracha, and that source of bracha is for Hashem, from Hashem. And therefore, when a person has a question of, I need to do something for my business, but I have to cut corners halachically for it. And I might not be able to daven because, you know, in order, because I have such an important deal. What's happening at that moment is I'm forgetting where the source of my bracha is from. So if my source of bracha is my business and my wisdom, then I, I, you know, I might leave Hashem out for today. But when a person remembers at every moment where everything is coming from, then there's no such thing as forgetting Hashem during my business uh, and, and making the decisions that are necessary for my business. So he's, therefore he says, he says that in a very refined microcosm, that's pyro in our own avodah, where we forget the, the, the reliance and the dependence and where everything is coming from Hashem. That's our own little klipa paroi in our own avodah. And to, to, uh, to bring that out, he brings up a, a teaching from the Rebbe Maharash, 
And that's what we're holding on, in our Abayim here. Uh, and the, uh, the Rebbe Marash has a le- very lengthy and, and quite famous mimer, which starts with the words, Mayim Rabim, from Shirashirim, that the tr- tremendous waters can never extinguish the love of the Yitah Hashem. And the Rebbe Marash talks about the Pasuk in Parshas Re'eh, where it says, Hashem bechol asher tas, that Hashem benches you in everything that you do. And the Rebbe Marash read the Pasuk the following way. He says, when a person, the, the actual words are, Hashem He says, when you always remember Hashem Elokecha, you always remember that Hashem is your Koach, Hashem is the source of everything, then whatever you do, Hashem can make successful. And even, not to, you don't have to do tremendous amounts of work, as long as in the person's mind it's firm. Always, how everything is coming directly for Hashem, and we just have to create the keli, the vessel. Then bechol asher tasa said the Marash in whatever we do, and it doesn't have to necessarily be such tremendously difficult work. The, we just have to make the keli to receive that bracha from Hashem. That is for what he calls the bali asik, the people who are in the business world. And then he moves on and says that the same thing can be found in what he calls the yoshvi oihel. Yoshvi oihel means people who are who are studying Torah. People are not even involved in the business world. They're just spending their time with studying Torah and davening and so on and so forth. So what could go wrong there, right? I mean, the person's involved only in Ruchnis. So he says, there too, there could be a very refined type of pari. And that is, although a person, of course, believes a person is studying Torah, obviously they know this is the word of Hashem and this is holy and this is connecting us to Hashem and so on and so forth. But somehow it's possible that one one starts learning and they get involved in the conversation and the, and the dialogue and the... Um, and the intellect of the Torah, one could forget momentarily, or more than momentarily, that it's the godliness behind the Torah, to the extent that one can become arrogant from the Torah study. And the truth is, he says in the Mimer, arrogance and Torah study are antithetical. They're the opposite. Torah study is connecting to Hashem. Arrogance is the opposite of Hashem. So how could one study Torah and become arrogant from the Torah study? That means that although they believe somehow that everything comes from Hashem, it's Hashem's Torah, but when they're actually doing it, they're forgetting. That person might be forgetting the connection, the holiness of the words of the Torah, and therefore that can lead to negative. And in fact, he says that sometimes a person's learning Torah, and because they're so into their own feeling and their own being right, they can argue a point incorrectly, and they could pass in a halacha incorrectly, because they, they weren't totally learning Torah with the proper focus on that this is the Dvar Hashem. And that's what he says, that's where we have Paray, even in our Torah study. The idea of Paray, again, which is the idea of, of, of not recognizing the source of where I'm getting all of my bracha. And to teach that, he brings a teaching from the Rebbe Rashab, going through the Rabbeim. And the Rebbe Rashab from the Kuntres Eitzachayim, one of the pamphlets that the Rebbe Rashab wrote when he opened up the Yeshiva Tzim Ketzmimim, was Kuntres Eitzachayim, the pamphlet about the Eitzachayim. And the, and the Rebbe Rashab brings from the Gemara, Mesechta Erevin, that the Eitz Hadas, I'm sorry, that Torah Shabalpeh is compared to a Te'ina, to a fig. And the, and the Rebbe Hashab says, what's the idea of a fig? The Eitz Hadas was also a fig. Right, we know there's different shitas, different opinions um, in Torah sources what the Eitz Hadas was, that initial fruit that was forbidden for Adam and Chava. Um, there's a number of different opinions. Um, in Torah, one opinion that doesn't appear in Torah is that it's an apple that doesn't come from Torah. But all, but all the other options are Torah. But Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in the Medrash says it was a te'ina. 
It was a fig tree. And that's why um, when Adam later and Chava uh, make clothing for themselves, they make it from aleitena, from the, uh, from the uh, fig tree uh, leaves. Because that was the leaf from the tree that they ate, the Eitzadas. So here we have that the Gemara tells us that Torah Shabal Paz compared to the Te'ina, the fig. Te'ina is the first fruit that they were told not to eat. Because it was called Eitzadas Tovara. There's good and bad mixed in. How's, how could Torah be good and bad? Torah is good. Torah is the word of Hashem. And the Rebbe Hashab explains, of course Torah is good. Of course Torah is beautiful and perfect and holy. But when the person takes it into themselves, they might mix in negative into the Torah that they're learning. If a person doesn't learn with the proper humility and the proper remembering that this is the word of Hashem, and therefore I have to learn it with holiness and with, with the bittel, with the, the humility and nullification to the word of Hashem, then a person can insert their own negativity into the Torah. And then, yes, even the Torah could be like that fig tree, which the Torah says is tovara, a mixture of good and bad. Says the Maimur that this is, and, in, and within all of that, there's the Orinsaf. Within the Torah that the person is learning negatively, even within the business that the person is doing and perhaps forgetting about Hashem, even in the story of Paro, the king of Mitzrayim, anything that's happening is merely an expression of that or in sof that's lamata mata adin tachlis extends and extends and extends lower and lower and lower. It's just a question of if the godliness is revealed or concealed. And he says that's where the word teva, you know, the word nature. Um, what is the, so we talk about nature and nature. Yeah, that's not godly. That's nature. What is the meaning of the word teva in Hebrew? It means to be covered over, swallowed up. Like it says when in this week's parsha by the story of uh, of the uh, Kriyas Yamsuf and the Egyptians. Um, are swallowed up in the sea. The word is tubu biyamsu, to be swallowed, to be drowned, is the word teva. He says everything has godliness in it. Everything in this world is merely a reflection of the Ein Sof, but it's tubu, it's, it's covered over. And that then he finishes up the Mimer, that's our job, and that's our mission. That's why our Nishamas came into this world. Our Nishamas who are, as we said, going back to the beginning of the Mimer, from the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, the middle floor of the Teva, connecting godliness in this world to see to it that the godliness becomes revealed in each and every aspect of this world. And that is the Avod of a Yid, so that Hashem can finally come back to this world in the fullest, fullest revealed way, Basi Ligani Afkaisikala, to be fully revealed. And in order to do that, we are given all of those divine treasures. The treasures of the godliness, the way it extends lower. The godliness, the way it goes higher and higher. That will be explained in the next chapters of Basilagani. And all that is given to the generals in order to give to the Anshei Chayel, to the, to, the, to the foot soldiers, to the Klaal to the regular people who have to do their avoda in their, in, their in their own houses, in their own families, in their own communities, to bring godliness and to reveal the godliness that's dear anyway, that's dear in everything, but to reveal that for that we're empowered with these tremendous powers of Nitzachim in order to overcome that and bring that fulfillment of the Basi Lagani Achei of bringing Hashem into each and every aspect of this world. And that's how the Rebbe finished that mimer of the Basilagani Tavshin Chav Gimel, um, 1963, which again we reviewed this year as well. So I think well, it's a few minutes early, but we'll finish here for um, the Basilagani Chav Gimel. And um, any questions?